Amen. If you're visiting, once again, we're so glad that you are here tonight. Um, as we've journeyed through tonight, I hope that you've begun to see all that our Savior had to endure, all that our Savior had to go through so that you and I might get to sit here today with the free gift of salvation. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to together dig just a little bit deeper into this, into the meaning and significance of what we've been asking all night, and it's this question, who is worthy? And through a question, I hope that we will be able to behold Jesus. We behold Jesus by looking to him, by looking to his story, by looking to the things that he had to go through. And as we do, we will discover tonight what a proper response is to that. Now, I want you to say after me the same word that I'm about to say to you, okay? Remember. Remember. That is what we are doing here tonight. Because we too easily forget as humans. Do you remember what you ate on Tuesday? No. Most of us don't. Do you remember your anniversary date? Uh, yes. That's, you should say yes to that question, okay? Um, I forgot our anniversary year after we got married. Not good, fam. So if you're a husband here, figure out a way to remember. But this is the story of every human that has ever lived this earth. We quickly forget, and we quickly forget the things that are the most important. And this is the reason why we have this beautiful gift here from the Lord, the, the gift of Scripture, the gift of the Word. Because through the Word, we get to remember what is actually true. We get to understand what God had for us to know of him, that which we forget too easily. And so tonight, as we look at this text that we will be reading, what we are doing is simply this, is we are remembering what we already know to be true. We know Sunday is coming. We know Easter is coming. We know resurrection is coming. But to get to resurrection, we first have to find death. There's no resurrection without death. And so today, we are remembering the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so through Lent, we've been journeying through the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the very last book that we have in the Bible. It's not the easiest book to understand. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of imagery. There are a lot of different things in this book that are really hard to understand. And tonight, we're going to read a couple of verses from this book. So let me just kind of give this to you before we get into that. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be said that we are not going to be able to get into the details, and we can talk about it offline what we will focus on tonight are the things we can understand, the things that have been made obvious and evident for us to understand. And so let me ask you to turn to Revelation 5 if you have your Bible. And if you do not, that's okay. The text will come up behind me. What we found through the book of Revelation, the first few chapters, is that this is a book by John, and he has been given a vision of what's to come of the future. And he, God told him to write these things down for us to know what is to come. And through Lent, we've journeyed through the seven churches that God writes and basically tells them, you have forgotten. Remember what you, your first love is. Remember what you were taught. Remember because you've forgotten the gospel. And so that's the journey we've had for the past few weeks. And today we get into the end of that, and we see that John progresses to the next, chapter, uh, the next part in chapter 4, and Jesus invites him into the great throne, into the great throne in heaven. And it's something like this. If, you, if you've ever seen the movie Thor or one of the Thor movies, I don't remember which one, there's the council. 
and you get to the council, and there are all these really important people at the council, and it's this really huge and majestic scene that you watch on TV, and it's just powerful goals, everything. Well, in chapter 4, we get a vision of what this great throne in heaven looks like, and John is invited into this throne, and he sees angels, he sees elders, he sees saints, he sees people worshiping Jesus, worshiping God, because he is great and high and exalted, and so he is invited into this space. And as he is in this throne, we read in chapter 5, verse 2, this is John speaking, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. You see, we find John in the throne of heaven. An angel stands up and has a scroll in his hand. And you might be asking, well, what is the scroll? I want you to think of the scroll kind of like a deed. Okay, think of the scroll like a deed. This is whoever is going to be the heir of everything God has prepared for the future, for the story that he has prepared for us, was going to receive this deed. Now, if you have a deed or if you have a will, um, it's highly unlikely that I could show up to your lawyer and say, hey, I'm here to execute so-and-so's will. They'd tell me, get out of here. You're not on the will. Only the rightful heir, the rightful person on the deed can execute that deed or that will. And here, John looks up to heaven, looks up to this throne, and an angel says, who is worthy to carry on this work, the final work of God in this scroll? And we see here that John says, no one. There wasn't a single person in heaven, on earth, or under earth that was worthy. And what this reminds us of is this reality, that for us to understand who is worthy, we first have to understand that no one, not a single one of us, is worthy to take that scroll. Think of the most pious person you know, the most generous person you know, the most loving, sacrificial person you know. And if you thought that's yourself, you are not looking far enough, okay? You are not the most loving or sacrificial person you know. But think of that person. That person is not worthy. Think of Mother Teresa, not worthy. Think of any historical figure who has done tremendous works through history to help humanity. And none of those people under earth that have been buried are worthy to open the scroll. And we find that this is a product of where we started back in the garden. We have to rewind just a little bit to the Garden of Eden. In the perfect place where Adam and Eve was created, God gave them everything in, in their care and they had a perfect relationship with God. There was nothing standing in the way. And in the perfect relationship they had with him, he gave them one command uh, of one thing not to do. He said, do not eat of the tree of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve had one job, not to eat of that tree. And in the perfect place and in perfect communion with God, what we find is that you and I in our humanity we rebel. We don't choose God. When the serpent comes to Adam, to Eve, sorry, to tempt her, he tempts her by saying, if you eat of this fruit, you surely will be like God. And we find our first temptation in the garden where we are told you can be like God and that somehow enticed us and they eat of the fruit. And God had told them, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely hada hada, you will surely die, die. Because a holy God, a perfect God, cannot, cannot stand before sin. And Adam and Eve rebelled, and they sinned. And we see that even in the garden, God had love and mercy and grace. 
And instead of killing humanity, instead of breaking, um, uh, breaking our lives and, and putting us to the dirt forever, he creates the first sacrifice, he covers them, and he sends them out of the garden. And he gives them this promise in Genesis 3.15. He says that, that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would, would bite the heel of this offspring. There is this heir this proto-evangelion, this, this prototype of the gospel back in Genesis that even when we rebelled, even in our rebellion, God made a promise to make a way. And we find throughout the, all the Old Testament the story of people expecting the Savior to enter the scene. And, and even Eve, when she gives birth to Cain, her firstborn, she says, I have given birth with the help of the Lord is our translation in, ESC, in, in the ESV. But the Hebrew would almost say, I have given birth to the Lord. She thought she had given birth to the Savior. And that begins this cascade, this domino of people expecting the Savior to come into the scene. And might, might it be Abraham, the father of the nations? Might it be Isaac? Might it be Moses? Might it be David? Might it be the prophets? And the answer to all these questions is no. No one is worthy. Yet, all throughout the Old Testament, these people are pointing us to the greater Adam, to the greater Cain, to the greater Moses, to the greater David, to the greater prophet, and that is Jesus. And so when we ask the question, who is worthy, well, the answer is simple. No one but Jesus is worthy. Jesus has always been the plan. We've missed that. We've placed our hope on people, on things, on leaders, but the plan was never them. The plan was always Jesus. For you see, Romans tells us there is not one righteous, not a single one of us is righteous. We have all turned from Jesus. And so when we ask the question, who is worthy? The answer is no one but Jesus. And so we must then ask, well, why is he worthy? John gives us an answer to this in that same chapter. In verse 9 of chapter 5, he is looking into heaven and he sees this. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they shall reign on earth. See, John looks up and when they ask who is worthy and no one is found worthy, John cries, but then the angels say there is one worthy, you, Jesus, who is seated on the throne, the perfect lamb of God. You see, he lived a perfect and sinless life so that you and I might have a right relationship with God. This had always been the plan since Genesis 3, since, since Adam Eve. The plan had always been Jesus. And what we find in Jesus is that he is worthy first because of who he is. We find in this throne room, in this throne of heaven, angels and elders singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Why? Because simply by looking at Jesus, simply by looking at God, we see that he is perfect. And someone that perfect and that holy deserves all of our worship, deserves everything that we have, everything that we are. And this is what we find in heaven is this 24-7 proclamation that he is holy, 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 and worthy of all our worship. And if that wasn't enough, it's not just because of who he is. The gospel song in him we hear in heaven is because of what he has done. We hear them proclaiming, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain. 
The word here is he was violently slain. As we read through today's text, what we find is that the road to, to, to the cross was not an easy one. He was betrayed by his closest brothers and friends, those he journeyed with for three years. He was betrayed with a kiss. He was betrayed by Peter, his closest disciple, who would later be the, the person to start the church. He was mocked. He was afflicted. He was beaten. I've wrestled so much this week reading the story of Jesus, all the things that he had to go through. But he did that with a purpose. He did that because there was something greater in sight. He did that because as we heard his prayer, Lord, if this cup might be taken from me, nevertheless, not my will but yours. He did this because he knew that there was something greater ahead past the cross. And so even though he endured suffering, he endured his body being broken, he endured the shedding of the blood, he did so with the joy set before him. And that joy was simple. The joy was his love for you and his love for me. When I look at him as the man who's been abandoned and betrayed and denied and accused and mocked and beaten, crucified and went to death, I see a man and I have to ask myself, why would he do this? And the answer is simple. It's not because he had to. It's because he loves you. It's because he loves me. Why would someone endure suffering? Why would someone go through all of this when they are perfect and sinless? If not because they have a greater love, because they want to see all people, all nations, the whole world restored to himself. And there was only one rightful price for a holy God. It's for a perfect man, a sinless lamb, to take on the punishment for all the sins. You see, love comes at a high price. Love has always come at a high price. And Jesus paid the highest price, the highest price, that you and I might be in relationship with him. This has torn me in my soul this week as I've reflected on Jesus, all the things he had to experience mentally, physically, emotionally, even spiritually. But he did that. And I kept hearing him tell me this week, because I love you. Because I love you. And I don't know where you're at this week. I don't know what experiences you are having in life, what seasons you're going through. And you might be wondering, does the Lord, does God even know all the things I'm going through? And the answer is yes and more. Everything you could be suffering through right now is not foreign to our Lord and Savior. He can sympathize with wherever you are at because he has been afflicted and he has been bruised and he has been beaten because he loves you. And because he loves you, he understands where you're at. But the invitation tonight for us as we reflect on this is for us to consider where he was at. It's for us to take a moment and pause and remember all the things that he had to go through in order that you and I might have a right relationship with him. So when we say, why is he worthy? It's because he is holy. But also, he has perfectly loved us to the point of death. And that is someone that deserves to open the scroll, to, to break the seals in the heavenly places. And finally, we must ask, who is worthy? Why is he worthy? Or what is he worthy of? What is he worthy of? John will show us what he is worthy of in verse 11. 
He says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. When we encounter a God that even when we rebelled against him, even when we turned away from him in the garden, he promised us a way back to him. When we encounter his love, when we encounter his suffering on a day like today, the only rightful response is worship pay attention to the words in verse 13 it says and all that is in them this gospel song sung in heaven about the cross and about his blood is the gospel song that we sing every day to ourselves and every week here when we gather this is the reason we sing is to remind ourselves of the great sacrifice of our lord and savior jesus christ is to remind ourselves of how holy he is and how much we need him. And like everyone in heaven from this vision, the proper response is that worship wouldn't just be proclaimed, but that everything in us would be touched by the reality that Christ has suffered and has died for you and for me. And so when we behold Jesus, when we behold his suffering, when we behold all the things that he went through, the only rightful response is that not just in my singing, but in my life and the way I act, the way I react, the way I live. Every day, Monday through Saturday, when I'm not here on Sunday, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ would deeply and intimately affect my worship for him. And this is the beautiful news of the gospel, that even when we are we're sinners, separated from God, when he created us perfectly in love, he always had a plan, and that plan was Jesus, to come to this earth, to die, even though he was sinless and perfect and holy, to die for you and for me so that we would have a right relationship with God. And the invitation tonight is simple, that we would remember that sacrifice, that we remember that love comes at a high price, and that as we remember, we would behold the great work of Christ. And as we behold, we would repent where we see his holiness so great and our depravity so low. The cross is magnified so that we can truly worship him for who he is. Charles Spurgeon said this, Jesus Christ does not save the worthy but the unworthy, you and me. Your plea must not be righteousness but guilt. You see, you have nothing to offer God. I have nothing to offer God. There is nothing in me as good as I could ever be that will ever make me worthy. But that's the good news. That when I come to him with my guilt and with my shame and with my sin, what God gives me in return is the righteousness of Christ because he has perfectly died a perfect death so that I might have a right relationship with him. You and I have nothing to offer. You and I have nothing to bring except our hearts that are willingly remembering and beholding Jesus. And as we do, I pray that tonight would be a beautiful reminder that Christ loves you. His love came at a big price. The relationship that he offers you came at a big price. And Sunday, we'll celebrate his resurrection and resurrection power, but tonight, we remember his death, 
remember that for six hours he was up on a cross. He bled to death so that you and I might have a right relationship with him. And when we behold this, might we respond in worship. And tonight we're going to respond in worship after hearing this. And so I'm going to ask the band to come up. And one of the ways that we will remember one of the parts of the story we did not read was the Last Supper, was the Lord's communion with his 12 before he went to the cross. So we're going to remember Jesus together by taking communion together. So let me ask you, just take a moment and just pause. Let me ask you to consider... Do you know any greater love than this? Can you think of any greater love than this? That a perfect, sinless man would take your punishment. We're going to pray, and we're going to sing, and I'll give us some instructions for communion. Heavenly Father, we are not worthy. The more we look to Jesus, the more we understand and see and, and just grasp the gravity that we are not worthy, that left to ourselves, we never choose you. We choose ourselves. We rebel and we walk toward death. But you are too good and too loving to let us journey into death. And instead, you died. You died a death you didn't deserve. You died in a horrific way, what we deserved. But you did that because you loved us and because you love us now. And you have invited us into a right relationship with you, not because of anything we could ever offer, but because of everything Christ has already done. Tonight, as we remember you, I just pray that our hearts would be stirred into a deeper love for you our hearts will be stirred into deeper affection for all the great things you have done on our behalf. We're not worthy, but you are. And tonight we proclaim that with our songs, and we proclaim that through communion. It's in your name that we pray. And I ask you